I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, everybody, and welcome into this episode of La Liga Lowdown with me, your host, Ewan McTeer. It's our match day 10 recap, and as always, we're proud to be rebroadcast on Sirius XMFC 157. We've got a lot coming up for you as we'll be talking about a very interesting Villarreal versus Real Madrid game, about Celta Vigo's new coach, and about how eerie and quiet Ibra's Iparua is without fans. But first off, the biggest story of the weekend is Atletico Madrid's 1-0 victory over Barcelona. This was actually the first ever time that Diego Simeone has won a La Liga game against Barcelona. He literally won a league title at the Camp Nou with a final day draw in 2014, but he'd never had a three-point haul against them until this weekend, until Ter Stegen came running from his box into no man's land, until Yannick Ferreira Carrasco nutmegged him, until this happened. Correa, and he sends Ter Stegen off his line, and rolling it home is Ferreira Carrasco, a giant blunder by the German, and Atletico makes him pay. That defense falls apart like King Louis Temple here. That goal was the only one of the game, a game where Atleti were deserved winners. Barcelona were just, just kind of meh, kind of passive. It was strange to see, and to try to make sense of it all, Let's bring in our regular contributor and Barca fan, Roman de Arquer. So Roman, this was Simeone's first La Liga win over Barcelona at the 18th attempt. What was different about this match compared to all those previous ones over the past nine years? Well, there's so many games and so much has happened along the years that it's quite difficult to point out what's exactly different. But I do have to say that they definitely deserved it, as you mentioned, because overall they were the better side, and I guess that definitely helped them win the game. And as a matter of fact, uh, the start of both halves, I was impressed how Atletico came out, you know, uh, attacking, looking for a goal, uh, getting some really good chances, and I think that uh, proves that their mentality was slightly different maybe than previous years, where Atletico were more defensive, were maybe waiting more uh, to see what Barca would do. This time they came out uh, trying to generate the the opportunities and trying to get the goals, which is something this Atletico can do, definitely, because they've got very good players. And it has to be said that, in my opinion, it was one of the poorest Barcelona performances with Kuman this season, I think. They were lacking so much in, in attack, in, creati- in terms of creativity. Uh, Barca were just incapable of generating, and Atletico were solid at the back and looking dangerous in attack. So overall, credit to Simeone and to the team because they played a really good game. Yeah, it's not just mentality that wins you games though you need goals too so let's discuss the one goal of the game what were your thoughts I mean that wasn't something we usually see from Ter Stegen it was a terrible call by Ter Stegen I don't really know why he went out for that ball because I think Lenglet was kind of uh, getting there covering um, Ferreira on time so I thought it would have been made more sense for him to hold his position 
uh, Ferreira coming from the wing, he would have had less of an angle, I think, to take a shot. So maybe uh, take into account that Ter Stegen is a great one-on-one keeper, has really good reflexes. I think he could have saved that. But he decided to cover up for Piquet's bad control because Piquet went out of his position to try and recover the ball. And unfortunately, he didn't manage to control it properly. And that generated uh, Atletico's counterattack. And there, I just think that Ter Stegen made the bad decision. But hopefully that won't happen uh, very often. Ter Stegen could be quite busy these next few months, though, because his main protector is Jared Piquet, and he suffered a very serious ligaments injury to his right knee, didn't he? Oh, it looked horrific. I don't know if our uh, listeners actually saw the images, but Piquet's knee really goes out of position, and you can see he's in a lot of pain, and when he's limping out of the field, he's about to tear up, probably expecting the worst, because let's not forget that uh, a ligament tear in the knee can can be really, really tough on a player. And let's not forget that Piquet is 33 years old, turning 34 in February, so he was possibly expecting the worst, and one of these injuries can, can even end a career, so let's hope it's not as bad. First test gave a glimmer of hope for Piquet and for all of us, because they said that it looked more like a knee sprain rather than a ligament tear. But then on Sunday they did further tests, and they're saying that the cruciate ligament could also be affected so that doesn't sound as good so we still have to wait for the final verdict but uh, Piquet is really gonna uh, have to go through some uh, months for sure without playing football and let's not forget that Kuman has a really big problem in terms of center backs with uh, Piquet out now with Araujo who won't be available yet this week and with Umtiti who's an absolute mystery and uh, nobody knows about him and it seems like uh, Koeman doesn't want him on the team and if he can avoid it he'd rather play De Jong in that centre-back position and to that we have to add that Sergio Roberto also got injured against Atletico Madrid and will be out for a few months too so very bad news for Barcelona overall. Yeah let's hope Pique can return as soon as possible one of the great players and great characters of the game we want those kind of guys on the pitch same for Sergio Roberto let's hope he's back soon too. Moving back to Atletico Madrid, I'll be blunt. Is it time to consider Atleti as serious title challengers? I've always considered them title contenders, especially this year, uh, knowing that Barcelona's season uh, was going to be troublesome. I mean, I think we all knew that uh, Scules weren't going to face an easy year. And that gives Atletico an even bigger opportunity to shine and to get a chance. And we're seeing that Real Madrid, despite ending last season really good and looking clear favourites for this year, They've already started you know, to stumble upon a few teams, so they don't look as sharp as they did at the end of last season. And that gives another extra boost for Atletico to try and prove uh, they are clear title contenders. So in my opinion, they definitely uh, have a shot at this. But they'll always go partido a partido, one game at a time, won't they? Yeah, that's definitely Cholo Simeone's uh, philosophy and it's uh, been uh, with him since the beginning uh, the Atletico de Madrid and it's helped of course because it's it's taken Atletico to another level and it's uh, given Atletico a lot of glory in terms of titles that they were maybe missing in previous years before uh, Simeone arrived so it's his philosophy it works and they have to go partido a partido they have to go game by game and get the results and I'm sure uh, they could get a prize at the end of the season because as I said before they have high hopes Thanks, Roman. Let's keep a close eye on Atletico Madrid then. They're now nine points ahead of Barcelona in the league table, which hasn't been the case since 1996, the year they won the double. That does, though, say as much about Barcelona as it does about Atletico. So let's hear what Barca coach Ronald Koeman had to say after this one. 
I think we, we played well in the first half. We dominated the game. We did not create a lot of uh, chances because we know it's really difficult against a team who is defending so good with, with all the players behind. And then if you make a mistake, what we did uh, in, in extra time in the first half, then it's still more complicated. Yeah, but I'm, I'm happy about the, the desire of the players. I can't uh, critical being critical about the desire of the place to, to to get at least one point in a in a difficult match of today. But uh, okay, we did not create a lot of uh, opportunities. Uh, it was a big present uh, that they score uh, one goal, and and then it's always difficult. That was Koeman there. To be honest, I don't think I agree with pretty much anything he said there. In my opinion, Barcelona didn't dominate. Barcelona didn't have desire, and Atletico Madrid didn't just sit back and defend as he suggested. This was a much more attack-minded Atletico than usual, as it has been all season. Asked after the game in his post-match interview if he sees similarities between this Atleti side and the one that won the league in 2014, Diego Simeone was blunt. This is the entirety of his answer. No, no la veo. No, I don't see it, he said there. And I agree, this is the different kind of Atletico Madrid. Now, let's move on to our sore throat game of the week. This is where we bring you some of the wackiest commentary clips from one of the weekend's most entertaining games. This week, it's Sevilla's 4-2 victory over Celta Vigo. Here's Alan Feely to talk us through this six-goal thriller. It was an open and entertaining game down here on Sevilla on Saturday evening at the Sanchez B1. Um, Sevilla won 4-2 against Celta Vigo and it was a game that was perhaps best described by the two local newspapers. Diario de Sevilla said that it was a game where the pendulum stopped on the white side while Ferro de Vigo said that it was a bad result but a good debut for their new Argentine coach Eduardo Cudé who had just taken over from the recently sacked Oscar Garcia. It was Sevilla who struck first blood, uh, 21-year-old French centre-back Jules Koundé scoring after Diego Carlos's header was cleared off the line by the Celtic goalkeeper. As he turned away celebrating, the Andesiro commentary team referred to him as Whoopi Goldberg's little brother. Celta showed mental strength however to get back on level terms and then some and it was two ex-Sevilla players that did it first Iago Aspas used an error by Sevilla's standing goalkeeper Thomas Vasilic who was deputising for uh, the Covid-19 struck Yassim Bono uh, and then Aspas turned creator to set up Nolito another former Sevilla player to make it 2-1 as both were celebrating the Carousel Deportivo team remarked on how inevitable it was that two former Sevilla players would come back to the Sanchez Pijuan and do such damage siempre están escritas para que el futbolista te la marque lo abrazan los compañeros él no lo celebra their lead didn't last long, however, and Yusef and Naziri equalised for Sevilla in the stroke of halftime with a really powerful header at the back post. Uh, Sevilla emerged in the second half at renewed impetus, but lacking the dominance that they showed last season especially. And it took a late rally for them to seize the points. Uh, first, it was Sergi Escudero who scored with a deflected shot from outside the box. Escudero would come on for the injured Marcos Acuna early in the first half. Escudero! 
qué suerte. Munir then scored a fourth to add some glass to proceedings, another deflected effort. Um, and it was actually a very good result for Sevilla because it gave them a bit of confidence going into an important game against Krasnodar on Tuesday evening in the Champions League. Celta will be disappointed by the result, but they'll be heartened by the performance. Um, they pressed with an aggression and played with verticality and adventure that was pretty much absent from their football so far this season and one would expect that they can be in line for good things under coach Eduardo Cude who has a very impressive record in South America with uh, both Argentinian and Brazilian clubs. Thanks for that Alan. That game really was a lot of fun. The result leaves Celta Vigo rock bottom off the table but the Cude era is just getting started and we're just getting started in this episode. We're about to take a short break but we've got lots more coming up after this short pause. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello everyone and welcome back into this episode of La Liga Lowdown. We finished the first half by mentioning that Celta Vigo are bottom of the table and joining them in the relegation zone at this early stage of the season are Levante and Huesca, two teams who drew 1-1 this weekend in their round's first two matches. Following the international break, we welcomed La Liga back with Osasuna versus Huesca on Friday night and it took just five minutes for the first goal, Sandro putting Huesca in front. But a David Garcia goal earned a 1-1 draw for Osasuna and it means that Huesca remain the only team without a win this La Liga season. They've got seven points from their league leading seven draws, but they just can't convert these decent performances into wins. It's not too dissimilar at Levante, who haven't won since match day three. They also took a lead thanks to Gonzalo Melero when they hosted Elche in a Valencian community derby, but Teddy Morente pulled Elche level to make that one a one-all draw as well. The third match of the weekend was also a 1-1 draw, this time between Villarreal and Real Madrid. We're going to dissect this one now with Paco Pollitt. This was a game of two halves, Paco. Mariano headed Real Madrid ahead just 105 seconds in, but a Gerard Moreno penalty in the second 45 minutes levelled things up. What was it that Villarreal did in the second half to turn the tide? And how do you explain how Real Madrid, who had seven key absences, how do you explain how they managed to dominate the first half? Mainly because of the confidence Mariano's early goal brought to the team. I also like how the four players in the middle played together, Odegaard, Kroos, Modric and Hazard coming in to get more contact with the ball. Mariano was left as the only reference, but again, had a plenty of mobility overall. And Lucas, playing in the wing, did a very decent job. Villarreal, though, managed to change the pacing of the game in the second half and I'd say they were the better team overall. 
I'd give them around one hour of being better than Real Madrid with only 30 minutes where Los Blancos were far superior. Subbing out Baca and finally placing Gerard Moreno as number 9 was a crucial move for Villarreal's reaction on the second period. As you mentioned, Emery's substitutes made an impact. Do you think any of those players deserve to have been in the starting lineup? Possibly Samuchu Guete deserved it, because he did very well in the 30 minutes he enjoyed in the second half. I also liked quite a lot Pervis Estupiñan playing in the wing, proving he's one of the most versatile players Emery has under his command. Takefusa Kubo, though, didn't have too many chances, very late sub in my view, I expected him to have more minutes. And in similar fashion, youngster Jeremy Pino and Ruben Peña only played, you know, a handful of minutes and I can't really assess their impact on the game. So, with the first goal, there was a little bit of controversy, a little sprinkling of it, and I mean, it wouldn't be a Real Madrid game without it. So, what were your thoughts on the confusion with the offside flag at that Real Madrid goal? You know, I think the goal is legal. It's true that the play was a bit confusing because Carvajal passed the ball to Lucas, who was in offside position, but the ball deflected on a defender and got back to Carvajal's feet, who later crossed the ball straight to Mariano's header. Yeah, I don't think it was an offside, but the fact that the assistant raised the flag briefly did seem to put off the VRL players. But one of the first things you're taught when playing sport is to play to the whistle, and they should have known better. So the central referee would play on, and the goal did stand. And it was another one for Mariano. He's scoring one goal for Real Madrid every 99 minutes. Why doesn't he play more? I believe that's one of the questions which puzzles Real Madrid fans the most. And I can't really answer it, because I actually think Mariano is a better striker than Jovic, and he has had way less chances than the Serbian forward. I actually remember how important Mariano's impact was in that Clásico against Barca last season. I don't know, possibly Zidane just wants to keep Benzema as many minutes as possible on top of the pitch, and he believes the Frenchman and Mariano can't play together. It's definitely one of the weirdest, one of Madrid's biggest mysteries at this point. Now, you mentioned him at the top, and let's talk a little more about him now. Martin Odegaard, we also got a good look at him in this game. How did he do in his battle against Parejo and Cole? He began pretty solid, asking for the ball, passing it around and looking for deepness in his assists. But in the second half, he got a bit overwhelmed by just how much talent Villarreal pulled together in the middle. With Parejo, obviously, and uh, also Iborra, with Chugwethland in a hand, Estupiñan, Gerard Moreno backtracking a bit to link some of the plays. Odegaard, he had a decent game overall, which is, by the way, in my view, high praise when you're facing Villarreal, who have some of the best ballers, some of the best playmakers in the whole league. Thanks, Paco, for the view there on Villarreal and Real Madrid's draw. It's time now for our weekly analysis of Real Sociedad's latest victory. It's six in a row now in the league after they won away at Cadiz on Sunday. It took until the 66th minute to score when Alexander Isak turned in an absolutely perfect Adnan Janazai cross. And Real Sofidad had been knocking and knocking and knocking on the door all game up to that point. In the first half, Cadiz had zero shots of any type, whereas the league leaders had nine in total. By the end of the game, it was 14 shots to two in Real Sofidad's favour. They may have only taken one of them, but that's enough for the three points and they're just looking unstoppable right now. There were 250 to 1 odds to win the title when the season began. That's now down to 25 to 1. 
They couldn't, could they? Let's hit some of the other results now. There were three games on Sunday that we haven't mentioned yet. The first was Ibar nil, Etafi nil. There were a few frantic goalmouth moments, but largely this was a dull game. It was stop-start, it was turgid. The only bit of fun came from Brian Heal, the 19-year-old Ibar winger. This was by far his best game since joining the club on loan in the summer. He was excellent, but Ibar couldn't get a winner. And that's a shame, because this was the day when they were paying tribute to Blast, one of their most loyal fans who passed away last week. He was known for bringing his blue and red umbrella to the stadium every game and waving it behind the goal. Look up any Ibar highlights of goals they've scored at home these past few years into the goal on the right of the broadcast camera and you'll see Blas's umbrella. So Ibar paid tribute to him before the game by placing that umbrella at the side of the pitch. A really nice tribute for a really nice man who I had the pleasure of knowing. Rest in peace, Blas. So, there was another game in the Basque Country on Sunday night as Alaves hosted Valencia and the home side raced into an early two-goal lead thanks to goals from Chimo Navarro and Lucas Perez. But Valencia fought back. They do have some fight in them. And they fought back with goals from Manu Vallejo and Hugo Guillamon in the final 20 minutes. They could even have won it had it not been for Super Fernando Pacheco and for Kevin Gamayro. The last of the weekend's results to tell you about was Granada 1, Real Valladolid 3. Now, this one shocked me, it really did. We had Real Valladolid fan Martin Devlin on last episode after they got their first win of the season and his big concern was that the international break would halt any momentum. But not at all. Oscar Plano and Marcus Andre put them ahead against a Granada side that don't lose often. Although Domingos Duarte pulled one back to make it interesting, Hota added another late on to make it a 3-1 Real Valladolid win. That's two wins in a row now for Real Valladolid. They hadn't done that since 18 months previously. We're going to wrap up this week's episode now with something a little different. We bring you the La Liga lowdown, but also the lowdown on all Spanish football stories that we find interesting. If you've been on LaLigaLowdown.com, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. So, we're going to speak now to one of our regular contributors, Ignacy Tornay, because he was at a pretty unique and special game this past week. He was at Ibar's Ipurua Stadium on Monday night for the Bass football team's match against Costa Rica. Now, Ignacy, can you firstly just tell us what this team is and what it means to the Bass people? First of all, we have to consider that the Basque national team, that it's called Euskal Selecioa in Basque, they have more than 100 years of history when they played their first official game back in 1915 as the team of the north in Spain. So it was during the Second Republic in Spain that the team was properly known and founded, let's say like this, as the Basque national team. This includes the seven historical regions of Euskal Herria. So it's very nice because people have the opportunity to see their team once per year. Normally it's on Christmas time that um, there are not La Liga games and those players are back home and they can compete um, on an international friendly game uh, once per year. They normally rotate, they 
change the stadium every year so all people are able to see their team at least I don't know maybe in every three years but they play in Mendizorroza like the last year San Mames, Anoeta and let's see in the future if they could compete in the new El Sadar in Pamplona and normally the fans they organize some demonstrations with political message uh, some ideas of uh, Euskal Herria, the historical region, as I said before, united again under the same flag. So it, the atmosphere, it's crazy, it's stunning, it's very nice and so, so, so friendly at the same time. It's really interesting and the match that we're playing this week was a friendly because they can't play in FIFA or UEFA games. Do you think that'll ever change? This week, the president of the Basque Federation of Football, Luis Maria Lustondo, has said on the Spanish radio that the Basque Federation had a special agreement with the Spanish government to be recognized and do the first step in order to the official recognition by UEFA and FIFA to play um, official games, to compete internationally. But um, it was a bit mess, it created a bit confusion because it was the president of the Basque Federation who said that it wasn't rumors by journalists or, or, or whatever, it was the president by, them, by himself. So after a few days he, he said that it wasn't right. So um, this is what the people of Basque country uh, asking for the official recognition by FIFA as well as Catalonia for instance so I think it's a difficult path it's a difficult way and I don't know if one day we could see Basque national team and Catalonia national team in this case playing an official tournament organized by UEFA or FIFA so let's say it's a very difficult case and what was the game itself like? It had late drama, right? The game against Costa Rica was fantastic, was a very good game. Essentially, uh, the initial 11 was formed by nine Athletic Club players. So the pillars, they, they know very well each other. So the game started very well for Euskal Selección with Iker Muniain scoring the first goal and controlling the, the, the game during the first half. The second half, I think um, Costa Rica did a step beyond and you could see them more brave attacking and going very fast in the counter-attack especially until they scored the equalizer but it was in the 92-93 minute, very last minute winner when Unai scored the winning goal for the Euskal Selección on, after a corner and very, let's say, and let's consider this in a very Basque way to win a, a game. Yeah, indeed. Last minute corner and the winner. Just a shame there were no fans there. To see it, what was it like to be in an empty Iperua? To play such a special game in an empty stadium, it's always like a sacrilege. But especially 
if you say that this is a easy purua. So the emotion and the feelings of seeing Bas national team playing with no public is a bit sad. And the conditions, we understand that it's a different and unique football context in the recent story. So, bah, what we can do? But it's a pity, to be honest. Very, very sad. I mean, speaking about an empty Iberura, we've seen in La Liga this season that Ibar have the worst home record of all teams this season. Do you think the lack of supporters there is particularly damaging to them? Perhaps it's eerie to play there in a small stadium with no fans. Yes, definitely. The lack of supporters in in La Liga, it's... Let's say that uh, for the most humble teams, uh, is a weakness for them in terms that um, they they need the support of their fans. They are better when the fans are in the stadium supporting the war game and going ahead and attacking, attacking against the, the rival with the fans uh, singing the war game. So you can notice how important are the fans when Eibar is playing in an empty Purua, when Osasuna, you see that they need the last push you see Cardiff with an empty stadium, so can can you imagine Cardiff performing as good with uh, with the fans? Uh, we all know the importance of the fans in southern Spain, in north Spain, in Madrid, also in Barcelona. It's 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 a pity to see empty stadiums and teams like Eibar. They suffer very very much the lack of supporters in Nipurua. Well, thanks, Ignasi, for that insight. Ignasi wrote all about his trip for Mundial Mag, if you're keen to learn more. And he's been doing a cool uh, football photo series on La Rambla in Barcelona, too. He's always doing cool stuff around Spain, so well worth checking him out on Twitter, where he's BCN. Of course, you can follow La Liga Lowdown on Twitter, too, so follow us if you're not already to see our tweets and even our fleets. I'm still not quite sure exactly what a fleet is, is but the guys running our account certainly do and they're bringing you all the latest Spanish football news right there. Before I go I just want to thank all the contributors to this week's episode as well as Ignasi Torney, there's also Roman de Arquer, Alan Feely and Paco Pollitt and I've been your host Hugh McTeer and I just want to thank you as well for listening. We'll be back at the same time next week so speak to you then. 